1: Welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen into to our show today on Workers' Comp Matters. I'm attorney Alan S. Pierce. I practice law in Salem, Massachusetts, with a law firm, Alan S. Pierce Associates, where we represent primarily injured workers and their families in workplace injury cases, social security disability cases, and the like. You know, if you've listened to any of our other programs, we're committed not only to helping people who have been injured at work, but also preventing programs covering the vast area of on-the-job injuries. What we want to talk about in today's program is evidence in the complex workers' compensation case. And from the claimant or injured workers' perspective, uh, we have today joining me by telephone an expert who is well-versed in the topic, Attorney John Gilman, who practices law in Wayne, New Jersey, John has a uh, firm with a nationwide reach specializing in litigation of catastrophic and serious injuries resulting from work-related exposures and traumatic events. John is a national expert on workers' comp law, a well-known author on many aspects of workers' compensation. He also was recently named by the best lawyers in America for the 12th year. And, John, thanks for taking the time to, to join us today on the Legal Talk Network.
2: My pleasure, Alan.
1: John, let's get right into it. Uh, You've been practicing probably about the same number of years or the same number of decades as I have, and you've probably seen practice and procedure change in the handling of workers' compensation cases, not only as a result of substantive changes, legislative changes, but also in the practice and procedure before the various administrative tribunals, compensation boards, et cetera, that we appear before. What has struck you as the most significant change or changes that have made the presenta- for the presentation of an injured worker's case, especially a serious or complex case?
2: I have had the opportunity of monitoring um, both regulatory and statutory changes throughout the country, and I have noticed a dramatic increase in the complexity. You know, back in 1911, um, the remedial aspects of the workers' compensation law provided a summary proceeding for Simple cases, mere accidents on the job, and it didn't really encompass occupational disease claims. And as they broaden the scope and the complexity of the exposures and the complexity of the the number of employments, historical factors, and the advent of scientific literature, it has gotten to be a very complex system, far beyond what was probably um, crafted to be back in 1911.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. We've had past shows on Legal Talk Network dealing with latex allergy cases and sick building cases, and we touched a bit upon the topic of multiple chemical sensitivity, and we could deal probably with a couple of hours on that alone and the controversy. Uh, But tell us how the presentation of a case hasn't kept up with these increasing complexities, especially the lack of discovery or the limitations of discovery that um, are available and not available to you and me that have the burden
0: of proof.
2: It's changed dramatically. Now workers' compensation lawyers have to really roll up their sleeves, get to work, and do their homework before they file the case. So they hit the ground running. They're, they're now met with not small firms against them, but national firms and national workers' compensation insurance companies with vast resources on, uh, on literature and vast resources on scientific evidence. And they really have to go ahead and do a major investigation before you launch the claim. And you should have your feet on the ground and have an understanding of the topic that you're dealing with, the exposure that you're dealing with, and start understanding where you can get the resources that you need, and most of them are publicly available just using your detective skills to get this information. I mean, you're going to have to do OSHA searches. You're going to have to do PubMed searches. Um, You're going to have to look for experts. You're going to have to ask around, was this person deposed? Was this expert deposed? Did anyone else have a case similar to this? It's almost that they've taken what we've experienced in the liability sector and moved it into the comp sector and that has added to the complexity both in the prosecution and the defense of these cases.
1: Okay, can you give me an example of a fact pattern or a client that comes into you and says, John, I am sick or my husband died because, and where do you, where do you begin?
2: Well, you mentioned before latex, I would exclude that because that's usually of a short duration, but if you take one of the standard cases, you could take, you could take a polyvinyl chloride case, you could, which gives you angiosarcoma, uh, you could do a benzene case, which gives you a bunch of other signature cancers, or you could take the classic asbestos disease claim, which seems to just keep going, no matter what we do, and showing up all over, because it's indestructible, the fiber itself. So on any case, which is a majority of the claims that you will see are mostly um, latent disease cases that become problematic. You have to go back and you have to bring the people in. And I use a questionnaire. I must spend an hour and a half with every new client that comes into the office or widow. I just don't. Uh, and that's after that's with them personally. We have an intake where we get information on the telephone, but before they come into the office, we've already done our OSHA search on the facility. We've already done our medical search uh, on... PubMed and literature that's out there. We've already done a search of law review articles and other case law that's available on the Internet or through subscription services. And when they come in, it's like putting the puzzle together. You have to be a good puzzle-doer. If you're a good puzzle-doer, you'll love to do it. You'll have a great outcome, either on the prosecution or the defense of the claim. And you have to understand you're going to dig in and you're going to find minutia. And you're going to end up serving this minutiae on the other side. So when you bring the person in, you're going to ask them to bring in memorabilia from the job, photographs, programs, um, historical information, Christmas party information, information about union or uh, non-union association, Um, you're going to always get a Social Security earnings report so you'll know where this person worked. Because historically, the family members don't remember. You're going to have to get a list of coworkers. Um, ironically, the harder that the defense fights you on the case, the more more you probably could prove out of the case. Because the harder that you'll work on on prosecuting the case and getting more information that isn't readily available on the outset, uh, we do searches on uh, uh, on hospital records on. on Historically, on every, every admission, on every treating physician, uh, family members, you have to know genetically what the susceptibility is of the family, whether you have side stream smoke or direct smoke, uh, habit, smoking habit from the, petition, from the injured worker or his family members, this all comes into play because the law requires that you obtain this information, and it requires that you do an extensive search in the beginning. You have to love to interview as part of being a lawyer in occupational disease claims.
1: And let's say you get all that information, or as best you can, and you now are focusing on the workplace, the setting where your client or your client's spouse worked. How do you deal with the fact that many years after the fact, or even if the plant is still in operation... You can't get in there to do air quality studies or sample studies, or even if you do, there have been corrective actions, uh, and you can't get access to how many parts per million of toluene were in the air or the benzene. How do you deal with just quantifying the exposure to this particular client?
2: Well, you find that if other people were exposed and what other information, both on the third party and on a workers' compensation claim, but maybe you don't even have to go there in the first place. But there's ways to do it because you could have people describe how dusty the clothes was, or how how much dust landed on their food while they ate, how much dust landed in the car, out in the parking lot while they spent the day inside the plant, Uh, what the odors were, did anybody come and bring... um, uh, lunch to them or come and visit them during the day and see the inside of the plant. But maybe we're going a little bit too far in some of these workers' compensation cases because it only has to be a contributing cause. It not, not necessarily have to be the exclusive cause of the disease. Workers' compensation is unique because we have a theory of aggravation, acceleration or exacerbation of an underlying condition that could uh, aggravate the work exposure. So it may not be the prime prime reason the person becomes become died, fatally ill because of it. It may have been merely an aggravation, and you may need, maybe you're going off on the wrong track. So before you embark upon dealing with a specific and pinpoint, you don't, look, you don't take the needle and go into the haystack. You take the whole haystack, and you analyze the haystack and then you share the haystack with your adversary because they're probably going to get lost looking for the needle.
1: Okay. Now, do you find that you have better results from a treating doctor, or do you find that you've got to go to an expert uh, that is versed in medical legal issues?
2: It's getting better with expert, with treating physicians, but I have seen many uh, missing the points and uh, many pathological mistakes at local hospitals and you really have to go to take it to a higher authority and somebody who has expertise in the field in order to get the testing and the results that you need with the accuracy that you need. And remember, workers' compensation is always the genesis, has always been the genesis for third-party liability So workers' compensation attorneys should really do a class A job on what they secure as experts and materials that they deliver to the experts, whether it be clinical data or pathological data um, or laboratory data.
1: Great. Now, let's sort of go back a little bit in your initial investigation and fact-gathering. You mentioned a couple of things, both public med um, a search and an OSHA search. Tell us uh, how someone would go about an OSHA search, and what do you get?
2: The Occupational Safety, Administration, Occupational Safety and Health Administration has a massive data bank online, free for the asking. You just go on to OSHA.gov, and you do an establishment search excuse me, you can go back and do this establishment search from the beginning of time, and it will go, it will dig into various levels, and you'll be able to bring out information with regard to uh, what violations were occurring and what warnings were occurring. If you need any other data that's not available online, you could do a Freedom of Information search and writing and ask for the original documents, and they will give you the citation numbers To go in and do it. And then you could challenge whether or not you're getting the full data that you need or whether some of it has been redacted by the governmental officials. And sometimes they remove the redactations, so you might as well just go peel it all the way up if you need the information. With regard to PubMed, before I even get to PubMed, there's another thing, uh, which is your right-to-know database, right-to-know, RTK. Uh, dot org or net and what it does is give you all the emissions both in the atmosphere and on the soil for that facility so even if that facility is no longer in existence you could see what hazardous substances were released on the hazardous substances list and that information will be available to you and it will give you how many gallons and how many pounds were emitted per year at that site so historically, that information's readily available for you. It's just for the asking, and you just go online and get it. And every state has their own inventory, but there's federal requirements on a, uh, a right-to-know and hazardous uh, substances list. And
1: along that topic, you also can get the multi- uh, material safety data sheets from the employer.
2: You could always get the material safety data sheets. And if your employer is really, really reluctant, some of these companies have them online, and all you have to do is that. Put in a Google search, and you can come up with this stuff. Some of this material that you can come up with is just incredible. I think the use of the internet is just superior. I recently had a case where I had uh, flares that a uh, uh, were being used, and I wanted to know what was what, why the fire, why the policemen were getting sick standing next to these flares all the time. And I got the material. Say to Dave, say safety data sheets, and they showed hazardous uh, respiratory warnings, and, um, you know, we'll linked that case, and that case was resolved. It also had pictures of the uh, fires and the police stops on the highway showing these flares going up and, and a lot of smoke. So a lot of this stuff is really available, down and use it.
1: Let me ask you a nuts and bolts question that deals with evidence, and I'm not going to get into Daubert, except we should touch on it, but... Um, how about getting OSHA violations or OSHA records into evidence? Is there not some language in the preamble or in the OSHA statute that puts some limitations on the ability to have a keeper of the records come in and testify in civil or workers' comp proceedings?
2: Uh, They'll usually give you certified copies. I I haven't had any difficulty getting the OSHA violations in, even if, first of all, you ask the employer to produce them. And then they tell you, they dribble around and tell you that they don't have them anymore. It was, it was clean, you know. And then you really can use their own, uh, you can you can use the respondent employer's witness to get them into evidence because they've seen them all and they probably signed them. All
1: right. I mentioned uh, the Daubert case, and uh, that, as you know, could take up uh, more than one half-hour show on workers' comp matters. I've started to see it raised as a defense uh, issue by defense counsel here in Massachusetts. And uh, tell us a little bit your experience. This is the Daubert Merrill Dow Pharmaceutical case of 1993 with the U.S. Supreme Court in an effort to uh, further clarify and make uh, the common law in um, consistent with the federal rules of evidence, uh, redid uh, the evidentiary standard in the Fry test that was for many years the standard of reliability of scientific evidence. What uh, role has Darbert had in making your job more
2: difficult? I think it's made it easier. Uh, if you go back and you look at the, the Fry test, was the federal test where it had to be uh, a general acceptance Theory of the expert testimony. Now it is based upon um, that evidence that will assist a trier of fact understand the evidence or determine whether or not the proposed testimony is based upon reasoning or methodology that is scientifically val- valid to the applicable facts being offered. So, what it has is it has expanded it to permit more evidence to go in. Remember, in, in in liability actions, you're dealing with a gatekeeper and a fact-finder who are different. You're dealing with the gatekeeper who's the judge and the fact-finder who's the jury. In workers' compensation, the same person is both the gatekeeper and the fact-finder. And this person has to be satisfied that the evidence coming before him or her meets the standard. However, the standard... And generally speaking, throughout the country, a Daubert-type gatekeeper premise is now being required, and that requires you to bring in evidence that is not opinion, but that is based upon sound reasoning and methodology. And the methodology you should be able to prove, because the amount of scientific studies have already increased to monumental levels. In Florida, in Florida, the um, the, the federal the, I'm sorry, I was just disturbed by a cell phone. My apologies. My in Florida, the U.S. Sugar versus Henson case adopted the Dalbert standard and workers' comp. In New Jersey, similarly, the Linkwitz case, and the Linkwitz case says, in the that they have to produce. You can't have to produce information to the hearing official so that there's an understanding of the concept and it is incumbent upon the, the, the advocate to produce information that not only shows that the problem or the substance caused the, the condition arose out of or within the scope of the employment. In other words, to make it a little bit more simple, it need not be the sole contributing cause, but it need only aggravate or accelerate or exacerbate the underlying condition. And when we understand that, we understand it's a little bit different than strict liability standard. And, it, and based upon the liberalization of that interpretation, I think it's made it easier for workers' compensation attorneys to prove their case rather than made it more difficult
1: interesting take john Uh, we're going to take a short break right now come back with more from our special guest john Gelman, talking about evidence in the complex workers comp case and we'll talk about our case of the day feature we'll be right back
0: you can listen to workers comp matters anytime on your computer or download the show to listen later We invite you to join as a member to Legal Talk Network so you can get updates on our upcoming Internet radio shows. Want to know more about Legal Talk Network host and attorney, Alan S. Pierce? He's nationally known for his expertise in workers' comp and the law, appointed by two governors to the State Workers' Compensation Advisory Council on the editorial board of the Journal of Workers' Compensation, leading lawyers across the country with a commitment beyond passion. Find out more about Attorney Pierce on the Legal Talk Network website under About Us. Legal Talk Network is proud to promote the work of Kids Chance, a nationwide scholarship program that helps the children of people injured or killed on the job. Check out LegalTalkNetwork.com or KidsChance.org for more information about how you can help, too. Workers' Comp Matters with attorney Alan S. Pierce is produced right here at the Legal Talk Network by a staff of professional news broadcasters. We're the only ones who can provide the best quality shows with the latest legal news, talk, and information in an interactive format you won't find anywhere else.
1: Welcome back to Workers' Comp Matters, the show where we talk about the issues that matter in workers' comp cases. Today's topic is evidence in the complex workers' comp case, and our guest is attorney John Gelman from New Jersey. John, we're going to change gears a bit right now here on Workers' Comp Matters. We're going to talk about today's case of the day, and I'm going to give you the facts of the case and ask you how you think the appeals court in Massachusetts ruled. It's a flu shot case. It involved uh, Daubert issues that we've touched upon, and it more, off, uh, more pertinently also wasn't arising out of, and in the course of employment case. It's the case of Carolyn Hicks. And Carolyn, let me just very briefly summarize the facts. Carolyn uh, worked for the Boston Medical Center. Uh, and in 1996, she was an EKG technician, and her employer had, at the lunch hour, a flu shot program where not only employees, but members of the general public who'd come into the lobby and get a free flu shot. And she availed herself of that flu shot and uh, the following day began to have some problems with her eyes and a week later her vision began to fail and she ultimately was diagnosed as having optic neuritis that left her permanently legally blind. She brought a workers' compensation claim, and the case went up and down through the administrative process and the reviewing board. She had a physician who testified that she suffered this uh, vision loss uh, as a result of an autoimmune-induced uh, disease, which he diagnosed um, as a differential diagnosis. In other words, her expert testified that he had excluded all other known causes and it left only this work-related cause, hence the Daubert issue as to whether that was a scientifically reliable uh, basis to form an opinion. Um, the court upheld the fact finder's uh, decision to admit that evidence, and the case also proceeded on the issue as to whether or not The flu shot um, given by the employer, taken by the employee on her lunch hour with no compulsion, arose out of in the the course of her employment. The employer's argument was that it did not benefit from the inoculization, uh, that this was not an indispensable or difficult-to-replace employee, and that, therefore, this was not a work-related disease or a work-related symptom. John, the case proceeded both on the Daubert issue, which I've explained was resolved in Ms. Hicks' favor. How do you think the appellate court ruled on the arising out of and in the course of employment issue?
2: I think they held the case in. It was definitely a benefit for the employer, having reduced absenteeism. And I think that they had the use of the facility of the employer. And um, if they did not, it doesn't sound like it was an off-premises case, and I would think that it would um, it would have been within the course of the employer. Um, the the amount of risk that was involved we're not dealing with the percentage risk, but the, the workers' compensation courts talk about risk. And this person subjected herself to a risk of uh, complication arising out of the injection. And I would think that the court. Uh, Additionally, based upon public policy, would require employers not to buy a workers' compensation policy for a small amount of money, and not and and be careless and disregard the complications that could arise out of uh, of the the work effort. In other words they can't insure themselves or hide behind the workers' compensation policy. So I would think that they would encourage employers, as a matter of public policy, to take a better history of this person to see if there's a disposition to a neurological disorder prior to even the inoculation. Um, And so I think for many factors that I mentioned, it would be held in as compensable.
1: Well, you're absolutely right. Um, The court in Massachusetts recognized that uh, this type of uh, issue was a matter of first impression in Massachusetts, although uh, in coming to what I think and you think is the correct conclusion, the court gave quite a bit of um, uh, play to the link between the type of employment, and they noted that she was a health care provider and that they held her claim was compensable because of her direct contact with high-risk patients and that her receipt of the flu shot was therefore an incident of employment, not only from preventing her from being an absentee uh, problem, but also avoiding uh, contagion by other employees. And I question whether if she had been a factory uh, assembler uh... benefiting from the flu shot whether our court would have reached the same conclusion had she not been a healthcare care worker but and as I you know what the risk ahead.
2: of the employment was in and of itself and how many people in that hospital had an infectious disease that would Uh, result in these type of consequences. And that may be another way to approach the case, not as a specific incident, but as an occupational disease claim.
1: And you sort of touched on it in your answer. Let's assume the court had come down and said this is not a compensable condition. That now gives rise at least to the theory that the employer may be sued civilly in tort for negligence in not doing a proper screening or in some type of strict liability situation so that an employer A self-insured employer in this case uh, may uh, not get what it really wants. They may be able to defeat a workers' comp case and buy a civil tort case in the bargain.
2: They probably got a cheap buyout that it was held in under workers' comp.
1: Well, I think that case and, and the cases you touched on illustrate the changing world of litigating these cases. It no longer is the sore back or the busted leg or the uh, torn sh- rotator cuff on the shoulder. But, but at- Alan,
2: I think that the courts throughout the country are now realizing that workers' compensation may not be the only remedy. And if there was a failure to provide a safe workplace, it may be a loophole because it's a matter of public policy. They really want to keep the workplaces safer.
1: And do you find that uh, New Jersey is, is up there in the trend across the country? In- New Jersey
2: has been absolutely in the uh, a trend to where you can't take off a machine guard and use the exclusivity provisions of the workers' compensation case law to hide behind to shield themselves from a larger verdict and liability under an intentional tort.
1: John, I want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, it's been my pleasure. And if somebody wanted to reach you, how could they contact you, and what's your website?
2: My website is www.gelmans.com. We have a wealth of information concerning workers' comp. My email address is john, J-O-N, at gelmans, G-E-L-M-A-N-S.com.
1: Thank you, and thanks, everybody, for listening today to Workers' Comp Matters. Go out and make it a day that matters.
0: Thanks for listening to Workers' Comp Matters today on the Legal Talk Network, hosted by Attorney Alan S. Pierce, where we try to make a difference in workers' comp legal cases for people injured at work. Be sure to listen to other Workers' Comp Matters shows on the Legal Talk Network, your only choice for legal talk.